You know those people who have turned, like, liking The Office into, like, a personality trait? Like, you go on dating apps, and it's like, I love The Office. Oh, it's just my least favorite thing to see in a bio. Is it, like, a substitute for having real interests, or is it, like, a protective mechanism because they, like, don't want you to actually know anything about them? Well, that might be it, but I also just think it's, like, a this is the zeitgeist, but... But the zeitgeist from, like... 10 fucking years ago. I think it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe there is some, something to dive into there because there are people who have really strong opinions about like the British office versus the American office. And like, they want you to think that they're thinking super hard about it. And they like, edgy cr- but i don't like cringe humor and i so don't that like just cringe humor either at all no i find the office i mean i actually and i want to clarify i think everybody who's on the office is like crazy talented so exceptionally talented but I, I think cringe humor is cruel and i also think we're kind of in like a post cringe society so i don't really understand why so many people are still desperate for that yeah when it feels so <clears throat> 2000s i also think about like one of my um favorite shows in the last couple of years was crazy ex-girlfriend which is like major secondhand embarrassment but it's like to work it's not at the expense of someone it's like someone clearly working through mental health issues that Mm -hmm. is like really explicitly stated but versus the office that's like yeah it's like it's like making fun of people (laughs) with like mental health issues yeah Yeah. um yeah no i just i i at my new job which everyone knows about my new job uh, everybody's like obsessed with the office and i find the office to be like entertainment for people who ask little more from the media they consume than to entertain them which you want in life i love brain candy this is a tainable <laughs> podcast. But, like, again, these people are centering their personalities around the office. Well, I remember once when I was uh, expressing this opinion as, like, a college student to someone who was, like, a little bit older than I was. And they were like, well, you just can't understand it unless you've worked in an office. Okay, but I have worked in several offices. I've worked in many offices now. And I can tell you I still don't get it. No, no. When I'm actually that different from my coworkers, we just don't talk, really. Nope. We do not. There's no vibing. No vibing. Happening. Yeah. Many thoughts, no vibes. <laughs> no vibes. <laughs> Today was a no vibes day for me. So we started the last podcast with my phone falling in the toilet. It's fine. Actually, I'm having trouble <laughs> making calls. <laughs> But we started today. I went to open up my uh, chest of drawers. I pulled out the front of the drawer and then the drawer part stayed in there. I'm really having a banner week in comparison. I really, and nothing's happening. It's like, I think that instead of getting <laughs> sick, because I didn't get your cold yet, mm-hmm. which is crazy because we live together. I didn't get your cold. I used a different hand towel in the bathroom. I use, my own, I use my own towels for that anyway. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it is about hand towels, but I'm like, they're always too wet for me to want to <laughs> touch them. All right, then. <laughs> anyway, neuroses aside, I think this is the universe being like, well, we got to hit her with something. You know what uh, What Scott McCall says? Everything eventually comes back. A regression to, a to the mean. A regression <laughs> to the mean. Yeah, exactly. We're waiting for a regression to the mean on the Teen Wolf Real podcast, podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf and apparently The Office. And it's also a little bit therapy for the last couple episodes for me personally and me personally being Christian. And I'm Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi. Are you ready to talk about Teen Wolf? Oh, yeah. I am. <laughs> I think. Um... <laughs> Yeah, this episode was fine. That's just where I'm at. I'm like having so much trouble like engaging. Mm-hmm. I've been so alienated from the content. And it's not that I don't love Teen Wolf, but I really think that one, I don't think I had the best attitude going in, but two, nothing has captured me away from the attitude. Well, you made a, a really decent observation while we were sitting on a couch watching. Yeah. Um, that there have been no episodes in this season that focus on a specific character or a specific person. No. Um, and so we feel really, I think disconnected from all of the characters, which I I don't know. Part of me is like, I'm reaching, I am reaching to try and find 
uh, some things to compliment. Yeah. Well, I think my attention is spread so thin. I just choose not to give it anywhere, which is funny because I feel like one, I mean, obviously one of the points of this season is that like Theo is coming in to drive a wedge between everybody. And that is like things that bad people and abusers do. Like they cut you off from the people that you love and like get you alone, yada, yada. Um, We're diagnosing (laughs) here now. Sure. Um, But it's not an effective move for your audience because um, I just don't care. Well, I think it would be if it weren't for the fact that right now we have three characters who we can very much say we know a lot about. Mm -hmm. Lydia, Styles, Scott. Malia is still very new and never got like a sort of thesis explanation for what she's about. Like we've seen her growth, obviously. Um, but so much less attention on her than even, you know, than, than anybody we got in the first couple seasons. Um, you know, we knew more about most of our villain. We even knew more about, you know, Jennifer than we're even knowing about Theo at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, do and even Gerard, whoever, Kate, it's really, really hard. And I know that it was sort of to add the supplemental cast under the original cast, but I don't know anything about like, I really like, I, I feel like I do know certain things about Kira. But I never, I've never known as much about her as I know about anyone else. And don't know anything about Hayden. Don't really care about her. I know a little bit about Liam, and I know that I care about him because Scott does. I don't know anything about Mason. Mason doesn't have a backstory. Corey never gets a backstory. No, and the way that Mason is positioned in this episode, it is like he is fully 100% part of the pack. He is going up to bat for Scott, basically. And we don't know anything about him. We don't even know his interests. We know that he's gay. We know that he's gay. Do we know his last name? I don't personally know it. I'm, I'm sure, sure somebody, somebody will. But yeah, you know, it's just been frustrating. I think we're going to work really hard to find the good in this episode because I think there were good parts, but it's like at this point, the good parts aren't saving my disinterest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is just to say, I promise we'll have good stuff to say somewhere. Uh, but before we do that, we do have to do our 60 second recap. You are going first. Okay. On this episode, which is the ninth episode of season five. Technically, it's the penultimate episode of 5A. Um, We're not really doing five that way, so it's not like as much of a penultimate episode as we usually see, especially because this is functionally a full 20 season plot. Um, But yeah, Lies of Omission. And it is a... It was written by Eric Wallace, who was also written for The Flash and Eureka, um, and directed by Tim Andrew, our dear friend. It's funny because I like kind of couldn't really recognize the directing style until the end and it was raining and I was like, is this Russell? And you were like, no, it's Tim. And I was like, all right, well, all right, cool. All right. I felt like the, um, Dread Doctor's fight scene felt, felt familiar. Yeah. Especially because there's a lot of slow-mo. You know what yeah. I really liked directing wise? There's a shot where we're seeing, uh, Theo's reflection in the medical table in the veterinary office at mm-hmm. the beginning. I thought that was good. Yeah. There actually, there are a few like. Um, things of note. Tim Andrew is never the problem. No, you know? never, like, ever. <laughs> I'm, I, I, that I think is like the, one of the letdowns of season five is that it, it looks relatively good and there's really interesting visuals a lot of the time. Like I neglected to mention this in our last episode, but I, I really liked when, um, the drug doctors were dragging, I think it was Corey somewhere and there were all these close ups on Corey's shoes. And I just really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just like doesn't live up to what I'm, getting from those visuals so yeah yeah the aesthetic slap and then they're they're just very hollow and that's really unfortunate um okay so we do have to do the 60 second recap you are going first um and i wish you the best of luck i i i think that this felt a little a little less jam-packed than usual. yeah but but still um, too fast yeah way too fast my god well you said and this is, we were, we were both having this issue. We haven't had a full three minute scene in, I don't know how many episodes. And it is so infuriating because they get cut up with so many different issues. Like I think the whole extended scene of um, Malia going after that girl, Beth, I would have, I would have liked to watch that play out in real time. I would have liked Malia to not be able to reach her in time. And it's just so fragmented that I'm not you know, or I would have even like there to be some dialogue, <laughs> like something we don't have any, every scene is like four exchanges and then it's like the next thing. And then like five exchanges and then the next thing. It's, it's frenetic. Like, I, yeah. Yes. It's so fragmented and fractured and you're going to have to fit them all together in one minute. Are you ready? I'm try. 
three, two, one, go. Okay, so Scott's uh, narrating his feeling. No one's told Parrish that he's the problem. Um, and they're all looking for the next chimera. And he's actually confiding with Theo. And it's like, mm, he's in the pack now. Theo goes to argue with the Dread Doctors about keeping Hayden alive. Um, and they're like, well, you can do that until the Superman. Then we're going to kill her. Liam is trying to protect Hayden. And she starts bleeding Silver Sharpie. And she's like, don't tell. Lydia and Styles um, are looking for the Nematon. And Lydia's like, well, we have to tell Parrish because, uh, you know, we have to. And then Styles is like, well, we can't. F- he wants to find it first because of Donovan. Um, the Supermoon is coming. Liam is still mad at uh, Scott and himself. And he and, uh, you know, Hayden decide to kind of run off Styles and Theo start conspiring um, Mason and Corey have like a moment where they're testing his strength um, and Mason decides that he's going to defend Scott uh, the sheriff shows up to the library to look for Mercury Corey goes to the hospital and he's like don't let them kill me um, you know on the way to the hospital Theo is like hey Scott uh, this Styles uses wrench to like beat Donovan to death um, and there's a girl in class with Malia who bites off her fingernails she's obviously another chimera um, Malia goes to help her but then uh, the dread doctors catch up with the girl and snap her neck um, Lydia and Parrish is look- are looking for the nematon oh um, that's it my friend la, 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 la. how do you feel you did not fantastic but I also didn't feel like I was um, as out of breath as I was oh, last I kind week I felt like you were clipping yeah. I don't know. It was, um, yeah. I could tell that time was passing. Sometimes I really you know? can't. And then those are the ones where I feel like I've said three things in you're like a full minute. Yeah. Cause you're in the zone, yeah. auto zone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, are you ready to try and do modestly better than I Never did? have I ever. Okay. Um, in three, two, one, recap. So Scott monologues to Theo, and then Theo fights with the Dread Doctors about getting a pack, and then Hayden and Liam are annoying, and then Style, and then uh, starts, Hayden starts bleeding Mercury, and then Styles doesn't want to uh, tell Parrish about the bodies because he doesn't want anyone to know about Donovan, and then Scott and Liam get in a little tiff, and then Styles uh, tells Theo about the Nematon, and then Theo tries to tell him uh, it's okay, and Mason tries to get Corey to forgive Scott. Uh, the sheriff finds Mercury in the library. Corey gets taken away by an ambulance. Scott. Uh, freaks out. Theo tells Scott that Styles killed Donovan on purpose. Uh, Malia finds another Chimera, uh, and she's killed by the Dread Doctors. Lydia and Parrish look for the Nematon Corey. Uh, it turns invisible um, and fights his way out of the hospital, but the Dread Doctors roll up and kill him anyway. Scott and Theo find his body. Styles uh, warns Lydia about Parrish with uh, the bodies. Lydia gets Parrish um, to turn off his brain by fighting him, and then he finds the Nematon. Stalinsky, uh, Theo tells Stalinsky that he's the one that killed Donovan in the same way that Styles does. Liam and Hayden plan to run away together, but the Dread Doctors show up and they fight. Lydia figures out that Parrish is actually helping cover up the supernatural. I got really you far. You really did. Oh Do you my gosh. Finish it up I while will. you're at it. Yeah. Um, that is, I really needed that. I think I needed that. That was right? a win. God, yeah. I just needed one good dub. Um, so uh, Parrish actually tells Lydia that he doesn't see just a couple bodies in his dream. He sees hundreds. Uh, the Dread Doctors fight with uh, Hayden and Scott and Theo uh, show up to help fight. Scott like kind of glimpses Theo talking to the Dread Doctors, but then they pump Hayden full of mercury, but then they kill her. But no, she's not dead. Um, Liam wants Scott to bite Hayden to try to save her. Parrish uh, puts himself in jail and explains to Selinsky <laughs> that he's the one taking the bodies. Scott confronts Styles about... Uh, killing donovan but does not ask him for specifics which is like wouldn't you want to know wouldn't you want any reason to forgive him and then they fight about it uh and then scott they have a breakup and then scott refuses to bite hayden Ugh. it's oh anyway we have lots to say it's like when you the first thing when people like find out that a relative or a friend may have commit some heinous crime is they make excuses for that person or try to look for the logical reason to make yeah. sure it wasn't them. What is Scott doing? And by that, I mean, what the fuck are the writers doing? Huh? He is so willing to believe Theo. Just so willing. And it's because he's handsome. We all believe just <laughs> handsome dudes. You know, they tell us so many lies and we're like, okay, it's because he's handsome. But I find that like kind of frustrating in terms of like Scott's character arc because he has been in so many situations where he has gotten his ass handed to him because he trusted someone he shouldn't have which styles brings up mm-hmm. in in the beginning of this season and it's like what is he not learning from all of those experiences yeah also why does theo rank higher in the trust belt like i'm so confused get it like rust belt Nice. Thank you. Nice. Well, like, okay, again, like, if some random person I just met told me that you had murdered someone, I'd probably, almost certainly, 100% definitely would come to ask you about it before believing them. 
Or you'd be like, you would honestly be like, are you okay? <laughs> you wouldn't even ask me if you know. You'd be like, so I you killed happened. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes fear that this uh, podcast reflects us as like pe- people without morals. <laughs> oh, I thought you'd you were be pissed say, if I killed somebody. Um, you know, I would not be happy, but I also, um, given me and my life experiences, I think I would try to like understand um and figure it out and i also first of all think i know you well enough to not assume that you would have maliciously bashed someone's brains in with a wrench like that is like that is a really sickening image and that's why it's so affecting to scott but that is immediately why he would start trying to reason himself out of thinking of it yeah Okay, well, we'll get more into that when we talk about this episode's theme. This theme is survival. It is very pressing. Uh, right now, we are pretty much counting down the deaths of two people in this episode. Mm-hmm. Corey and Hayden. Yeah, and many more to come. Um, and it feels like everybody is sort of on their last breath, um, metaphorically. And, fig- and literally. Because For Corey, yeah, because he dies. Also, Scott can't get his shit together. Oh, he's- yeah, he's got asthma. Yeah. You also have asthma. You can't be mean about that. Oh, no. I, when I was sick, I was sleeping with my inhaler next to my bed. So, yeah, I get that. I do. Um this again, okay. I know we've talked about this before. The reasons for which you are Scott in our friendship and I am Styles just keep Numerous. piling up. Yeah. Um, except I do think I'd be better at lacrosse. Oh, 100%. My hand eye coordination is garbage. Um, and you hate running. I really fucking hate running. <laughs> I hate it so much. I got you beat just on the, on the present, on the like, promise of liking running i thought you were gonna say the presidential fitness test and i was like yeah that too i've never i never had to, did you have to do the presidential fitness test i'm pretty sure yeah i never had to do it the um well i didn't have to take gym in high school because i took a language don't know oh. how that works no the last time i took like uh, a pacer test like any like real test was middle school in high school they were like you can do literally whatever you want did, to did you walk the mile oh yeah like all were- of the other gays <laughs> You're the, you're back there with the girl in the Cookie Monster her pajama pants I and the hot Cheetos. Yeah, I was not the girl in the Cookie Monster pajama <laughs> pants, but uh, we were tight. What was so. her name? Do you know her name? I feel like it was uh, Michaela. I feel like it was Michaela. I'm trying to think about like who that would have been in my high school, and I feel like her name was Brianna, but I feel like it's that <laughs> stereotype of Cookie Monster pajama pants girls. I don't know, but we love you. <laughs> If, we love if you. If a Cookie Monster pajama pants girl is listening to this podcast, <laughs> we, we love, love you, you so much. much. Yeah, we would have been lonely walking the mile without you. True, true that. Um. Anyway, we're talking about survival. Uh, where would you like to start? Um, I uh, want to talk about Liam and Hayden. Yeah, because. I want to complain about Liam and Hayden. <laughs> you know what? You take it. Go right ahead. Okay. So um, why the hell are they so in love after like a second? I think like the most easy, like the easiest comparable for their relationship is Scott and Allison, Abby. But like Allison, her trust gets broken by Scott very quickly and she's not quick to trust him again. And the next time he betrays her trust, she's like, I'm outie, you know, yeah. like it is so much more of a slow burn even in sort of relationship sense of like, it's not too serious. It's never serious at first in those first maybe four or five episodes. I don't understand why they kissed in the last episode. And now Liam is like singing run away with me. And like, (laughs) you'd think that they would have gone through like a saw puzzle together. (laughs) And they're like in that support group. Recently finding out that people ship the two guys from the first Saw movie has been the funniest internet revelation of maybe all time. It legitimately hurts my brain. Trauma bonding. I mean, I I think we've already talked about that, but it it still remains funny. Well, but that's how they're acting, Liam and Hayden. And I feel like, I think we learn later on that Hayden doesn't have any parents. Yeah. I think it's just her sister. But, and I will say, like, even though I find that so dumb, uh, if we're thinking about it in terms of survival, I think that Liam has kind of decided that he's 
the only chance for Hayden's survival. I think he's kind of looking around and being like, is no one taking this pretty girl seriously? (laughs) And it's a little bit like, we do have other problems. Remember how I said that everything's too stretched thin for us to care about everyone at the moment. But I do think that he thinks her survival is dependent on him, which means his survival is also dependent on him, which is a very scary feeling. You know, I actually um, think that the closer comparison um, for Liam Hayden would be Derek and Paige. Mm. You are right. Because um, they even look similar. Yeah. They even look I similar. I thought about that. I actually wrote it in my notes. Uh, I um, Well, now I yeah. just look dumb for not bringing <laughs> it up first. But, oh, God, wouldn't it be great if Derek were here? It would be so good if Derek were here. Um, because then Liam would have another daddy. Um, <laughs> Liam has two dads. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Um, love wins <laughs> but like in a divorce dad's kind of way no it's more like a, a, a dad and his kids new stepdad <laughs> yeah um yeah so I think that there is like definitely a comparison to be made between Derek and Paige and Liam and Hayden because they have that like flirty um, standoffish relationship to begin with. And Derek is responsible for Paige's death. <laughs> he is. Where she spits up a bunch of black bile and, you know. Because Derek in that moment is convinced that the only way for them to be together slash also for Paige to, like, survive but also thrive mm-hmm. um, and, like, live a long life is to turn her into a werewolf. Yes. Though he was not an alpha at the time, so I'm not really... Anyway, the, we don't need to drive backtrack. He's not the one who bites her. No, somebody else bites her. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so I think that's just kind of an interesting comparison. But because we already know quite a bit about Derek at that point, we don't really need to know that much about Paige because it's like a one-off situation to like... It, they fridge her to give Derek more personality, unfortunately. Um, but like, in a, it doesn't have the same effect with Liam and Hayden. No, we don't know anything about her. Um, I will say though, it's also really interesting from Hayden's perspective. I'm giving her personality cause they didn't where she is also like, this is going to be the, because Liam is the person who introduced me to this world. He is going to be the only one who can take care of me because nobody else in this world has shown me that same care. So my survival depends on him. It's kind of like an early codependence thing, but it also again happens too quickly. Um, but they really do plan to run away with each other. I don't really know what they're going to do with 200 bucks in California. Oh, that gets you gas in an avocado. <laughs> like It's just so innocent that she only takes her paycheck. Like, isn't there a coworker she has like a vendetta against? Well, she hates her boss. Take his money. Yeah. I And those like just insanely fake $100 bills. Oh, I know. <laughs> Um, yeah, they both decide, well, and they, I find it interesting that their solution to survival is to leave. Yeah. Um, instead of like staying and fighting, which of course is like Scott's MO. Yes. Um, but it really does, does go to show like how much trust Scott broke, um, by making Hayden bait and not telling Liam about it. And so, I Liam doesn't necessarily see Scott as like a path to survival anymore. Like he doesn't see Scott as necessary to his survival. And in fact, probably kind of a hindrance. Yeah. Well, I also think that like trust in Teen Wolf is like survival in Teen Wolf is like predicated on trust most usually. Yeah. And once that's fractured, you have to go your own way. And he does, or, you know, he tries to, you can go your own way. Um, but now with $200, you can't. No, because the Dread Doctors will show up. Do you think they robbed him? I think they did. <laughs> they I'll were like, dead. while we're here, we'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> they like see the Dread Doctors with a new purse, and they're like, hey. hey. Uh, that was that was for our avocado. <laughs> <laughs> One singular. They went to Whole Foods. That's why they can't afford a house. <laughs> So we move on. Yeah. Who do you want to talk about next? Oh, I want to talk about Parrish and Lydia. Oh, fucking finally. With not about Parrish and Lydia. (laughs) I was like, they don't really get together or anything. Nor do I want them to. No. Um, No, but like fucking finally that like somebody has clued Parrish in. 
Yeah, I said this to you earlier about the Styles thing, but I also think this is a case where it's like it needed to happen earlier in the season. We can't have all of this happening in the in the penultimate episode uh, because of how much is happening. Like we needed to separate these chunks, but yes, it is a great relief to know that Parrish is that Parrish now knows that he's the one taking the bodies. Um, and he then puts everyone's survival on himself and is like, I will be in jail now. Like a sad puppy who created himself. <laughs> well, what I find interesting about that is that in, in light of it, we're in despite of like all of the evidence that Parrish just takes dead bodies um, and that he only like fights with people who are in his way. Although <laughs> he does just punch the shoot out of Theo for seemingly no reason. <laughs> I'm cool with it. Um, Theo. And like, I know we were joking earlier about Cody Christian being handsome. Theo has a punchable face. He sure does. Very punchable face. Like that guy would touch my lower back in a bar and I, oh, I'm swinging. Deck him. Yeah. 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 Um, Rings and all. That if you if you touch my lower back in a bar, that's what you deserve. Yes. Um, Actually, if anybody knows why men do that, other than to just assert their space in a crowd, tell me. But I know that it's like, like me, man, me must occupy as much space in a whole bar. It's like the man spreading of social events. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would agree. Um, I don't know. I think sometimes. There's often, uh, I think you can decipher the intent, um, but also it's, it's a bar. I don't want to have to think about that. Yeah, I don't want to have to decipher. Don't the fucking intent. touch yeah. me is the answer. Yeah. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. I will like, maybe I won't punch you, but I will throw my elbow back there. I will do the big, like gut elbow in the gut thing. Don't get off. Lose your drink, but yeah, <laughs> I'm cool with it. Whatever. Yeah. I'm with my friends, but here's the thing. I'm sitting here complaining about this, but because of the global panini, I haven't been in a bar and. <laughs> a year or more 18 months <laughs> i someone like sat directly next to me on the l for the first time in months and i was like the wait fuck is speaking this? of men making spaces uncomfortable i know i know when women sit next to me on the l it's because i look like the safe option yeah if their seats open available elsewhere though ladies don't sit by me <laughs> no if i'm the only option you can sit by me if the car is full of dudes and you're like i really would rather not sit by any of them sit by me but again if there's other options like pick a safer looking woman than me i don't even look nice <laughs> yeah don't assume good things of me how dare you i think i think my mask hides my rbf oh tragedy i know people need to start being intimidated by me again <laughs> We're on our way. Yeah. Anyway, uh, back to <laughs> Parrish. <laughs> Parrish. Who, so he, uh, he thinks that he is a bad guy, al although all evidence points to the contrary. Um, and he, like, ends up telling Lydia the tail end of his dream, which is that um, there's hundreds of bodies at the Nauaton in his dream, where he's sitting there in his, like, fiery, naked, mm -hmm. you know, cross, crisscross applesauce pose um and he really thinks that like for the survival of other people <clears throat> he needs to lock himself up yeah which i feel like all evidence again points to the opposite well it's also like all evidence points to the fact that he's not killing these people you know he's never been the one to kill them we all know he's never been the one to kill them he just collects the bodies mm -hmm. and i know that that sort of nematon um like imagery is supposed to be very like sad mass grave but it doesn't read that way to me it sort of feels like a collective place for the supernatural to rest yeah and Lydia makes a point <clears throat> which becomes more relevant um in season six where she says that you know maybe you're not uh, I don't remember what she like talks him out of but she's like maybe what you're doing is that you are protecting the supernatural mm -hmm. because if Parrish takes the bodies away to the nematon which is just this mythical tree stump that can't be found unless you're with a hellhound or whatever or you almost die um it's like a safe place for these creatures to rest without people discovering them and like starting a witch hunt yeah and like not to like impose like christian imagery on it it's like imagery on it it's like to rest in peace yeah right um yeah and it's really interesting to me that Parrish conflates his relationship with death to a lack of survival 
Which I think Lydia does too. And Styles even is like, you're the one who finds the bodies, you know? Find the bodies. And she can't. She also doesn't try. No, not at all. I wish she had tried. I wish it had been frustrating for her, you know, to not be able to find them. Because she is, you know, she's like, this would be the one thing I can do for these people in their deaths. But also I think that that even is more interesting in the fact that she can't find them because they're already at rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that sort of survival has always been something that has been almost unreachable for Parrish and Lydia because of what they are and, and how they interact with the universe. Um, and Parrish is concerned with uh, survival so much so that he can't understand that he's not a, not really a factor in it. Um, and he's concerned for Lydia's survival, but not really in, as much in this episode. The fight scene was so unnecessary. Egregious. Why is she so good at it? Why is she so good at it? I was also thinking like, well, if the other option is that like they kiss a la the I, whole, yeah. I got you to hold your breath type of bullshit. Yeah. I guess Stidia I forever, prefer. but you know, I guess I'd prefer them do some like woodland boxing. <laughs> well, it was just dumb. I, meditate. Meditate. Well, okay. Also because obviously we have had many a scene in Teen Wolf in the woods. Um, but this, I think more closely mirrors the scene. Um, this has to be in like season two or maybe three, um, of Allison and Lydia in the woods and Lydia and Allison can't shoot anymore. Like she can't aim. Lydia's trying to help her three use her, her bow. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to like connect to that innate power within mm-hmm. you. Um, that's when Isaac shows up cause he's following her. <laughs> yeah. And that's also, I think there's like a bear trap and yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, so I thought if you were trying to parallel that episode, like Lydia and Allison don't have like a flirty little sparring moment, you yeah. know, it's about like meditating or trying again. Like it's also about connection. Yeah. It's yeah. This wasn't even about connection, which is another reason why I was like, meh, bored. It's yeah, I'm bored. Um should we move on? Two. Um I wanna talk about Theo actually. Theo mm. is starting to realize that his survival is super not guaranteed. Oh, he's panicked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not just his survival, but um I think you know, he's he is realizing that um, the Dread Doctors don't give two shits about him and what he wants. And so they're going to kill Hayden. I really wish we knew a little bit more about Theo to understand why he ever thought he might have the upper hand over them. This is where I I have been thinking more and more about this, about the utility that a flashback episode would have served. Um, on so many different levels, but I think because we never... That doesn't take place in 18th century France. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that happens like in the eighties, you know, like the book that is the book. Yes. Um, you know, and we're writing that book, (laughs) writing that, that but I bet somebody (laughs) has written that book. I bet if we went on any like fan fiction hosting site, somebody's written the Dread Doctor book. Yeah. Someone's written the Labyrinth book. Like somebody's done that. Yeah. Um, People are so creative and weird. I I love They're crazy. I love and hate the internet. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I wish that there had been some sort of flashback. We get that cool flashback at the beginning, or not flashback. We get that cool scene with like Theo and his fake parents who never make an appearance ever again with their broken uh, hands. Um, and I just wish that like there had been some sort of episode where we see what happened in the past because nobody knows what's going to happen and like nobody knows why Theo has this relationship with them it also doesn't even have to be an episode I think all the time about how like one of like Teen Wolf's like the the fact that they like did a speed run of Theo's redemption arc Mm. and it was just like depicting him as a homeless teenager and we were all like that's sad as shit we forgive (laughs) you like they could have done three scenes throughout we've seen nine episodes now three scenes to put us here but anyway on theme uh not only is theo being like oh my life is not important to these freaks at all uh theo is also like well aware that like wolves don't survive on their own and he's thinking he's getting a pack of chimeras out of the dread doctors and none of them are living and they keep being like wait till the super moon or whatever the word is, is a G. 
Uh, do you want to say that in English? <laughs> I, I'm, I'll look it up. Keep talking. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, he, they're keeping like wait for the supermoon, which is, a, I guess, when the sort of resurrection happens, because we know all these chimeras come back to life. But as we're concerned right now, everybody is dead. There's no chance of survival. And Theo is looking around being like, um, shit. And I actually think that's the reason why he tells Stalinsky that he's the one who killed Donovan. I think so. I I think that's a really interesting turn. By the way, Paragesis G is just the technical name for uh, Supermoon. Oh, okay. Um, boring. Tana <laughs> thinks it's being so smart, but the internet and we are smarter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting that Theo decides to like present these two very different. Um, stories about what happened and in each way he uh like in each story he is using that to ensure his own survival mm-hmm. um because when he confesses to stalinsky he doesn't have to but if he didn't say anything then the sheriff would continue looking into him um and by confessing the sheriff who is a good dad mm-hmm. a good dad and an empathetic human being um understands yeah and puts it in and as much as he was having trouble with this in the previous episode, puts it in the context of the supernatural realm that he now has to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not necessarily clear that uh, he won't come after Theo in the future, but the fact that he doesn't slap him in a pair of handcuffs right then and there, I think is a pretty good indication of Um, the fact that Theo will be okay. I totally agree. And Theo is depending on that empathy for his survival. And, and he, because he, but he's witnessed it. Like Theo, um, I, I think this is one of the more successful aspects of season five is that Theo has spent so much time around all of these people insinuating himself in situations where he is not wanted, um, that he has learned enough about these people that he is able to so effectively manipulate them, um, which is an excellent way of ensuring your own survival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also think this episode sort of does demonstrate like Theo is fighting for survival with the drug doctors, but I think he's making exit plans. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love a weaselly slippery bitch, you know, like I clearly the slippery or the slippery or they are the slippery or they are <laughs> to paraphrase coach. Oh, coach comes back. I think in part B, thank God I miss him. Yeah. I really miss him. That's another reason as to why this, like there's nobody around for just comedic effect. And because styles is going through his like ennui of, Oh no, I killed a man. Yeah. (laughs) I killed a man with this thumb. (laughs) Um, nobody can do anything funny and the coach would seriously change that. Um, let's talk about styles now. Styles. Okay. I, you said this while we were watching it. I think we've probably said it in this last however long we've been talking, the fact that it takes so long for this to come to fruition is infuriating for me, the watcher. Um, And Styles is just like saying nothing out of uh, fear and out of the sense that that is like what's going to help his friendship with Scott survive if like Scott doesn't know if Styles can fix it before he finds out. And of course, that doesn't work. And Styles is also not doing, and this is a writing problem, not a Styles problem, not doing actually the best to survive in this episode. Like he a little bit is, you know, being a smart cookie by being like, don't find the, do not seek the treasure, don't find the (laughs) Nematon, because that's going to give away the fact that Donovan is dead. But we've all kind of assumed that Donovan is dead anyway, so I don't really know why, I don't know why that, why, why Styles would not just think why Styles would not think that everybody would just believe that the Dread Doctors killed Donovan for being a failure? That is, that is banana bread. He could be totally banking on that. The only person who knows that you know Styles that about Styles and uh, Donovan is Theo. Mm-hmm. But even in his, um, even in his big argument with Scott, like their breakup, it doesn't really feel like he's fighting for his life, which is annoying because Styles is so gifted at one thing, and it's talking. 
and he it's like he can't even get any words out and i like really think that you can sit here and be like oh well it's because it's so you know hard for him to no he's had weeks to think about this and think about how he was going to explain it to scott he's probably rehearsed it in his head and in front of the mirror the fact that he never says like but it was an accident he never says it was an accident to scott and that is so infuriating to me because styles is not fighting for his life in that season in, in this scene and it's not styles problem it's a writing problem oh i think that miscommunication 95 percent of the time is the laziest tactic that you have to break people apart especially for two characters who have never experienced it before we have talked at length ad nauseum on this podcast about how strong the relationship between scott and styles is no matter what is happening mm-hmm. and the fact that it all comes apart at this conversation we have to factor in the idea that styles that scott is more willing to believe theo than he is to believe styles that Mm -hmm. styles wouldn't speak up for himself and say that it was an accident that he wouldn't ask for clarification of what the fuck scott was talking about when he says it gets to a point beyond self-defense yeah 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 in like if styles had been like it was an accident he scott would have been like well how do you bludgeon somebody an to accident. death as an accident. And Styles would have been like, what are you talking about? And then they could have come to this, you know, conclusion. Um, and it comes down to the fact that I guess if you want to decide that this was a purposeful, that this was an intelligent choice by the writers, which I choose not to believe, that uh, Scott is choosing to let his, to not survive his friendship with Styles, to like let it fall because he is whatever, but that doesn't even make sense within the context of the episode where he's trying so hard to get everyone, get the band back together. Yeah. Kira has just left. So he's reeling from that. He has not had a win against the dread doctors literally ever. Um, and styles, the smartest cookie of them all who is human. And we have always talked about how that is like a really important aspect of Scott's pack, that there is a human being in it. Um, that Scott doesn't, care enough to ask those questions also turns half of the teen wolf mythology on its head by being like the human part of you is what keeps you good and by styles's defense of like his you know killing donovan that humans are inherently evil evil. and i'm like even if you want to pitch humans are inherently evil you had to do that in season one dude we've had five seasons of you being like being human and having a soul is what blah 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 bullshit once again as discussed in the last episode, the fact that nine times out of 10 on the show, the excuse, the reasoning, not excuse, but the reasoning for people behaving badly or behaving evilly is not because they are inherently evil. It is because of supernatural force or trauma. Yeah. Minus Kate, who was just a sociopath. Yeah. But I'm weirdly missing her. Yeah. I really was like, I think the first time I watched four, I was like bummed she was back because she's so abhorrent in season two. But now I'm like, she was fun. She was fun. <laughs> Jill Wagner's great. She's blue. Yeah. Um, I guess we're talking about Scott. Uh, Scott, it really does feel so fatalistic. It feels like he has no, he gives himself no chance of survival in the beginning of this episode. And I actually think the best part of this episode is without a doubt the opening monologue to Theo. Yeah. Um, I really... I really liked that. It raised a lot of questions for me, actually, but um, I really, I I liked the continuation of realizing that Scott, the person that he has mainly been confiding in this season, largely, is Theo. Because Theo seems to have answers. um, And he's also around. Like, never underestimate the, the power of just, like, being around. And Theo is a fucking round in this episode. How does he show up at every single at location? He runs very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> just booking it. Yeah. Like, little known fact about Chimeras, they actually have, like, the flash powers, you know? Yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He just breaks a lot of traffic laws. That is also entirely possible. Um, Scott, I guess, it, well, he is unmoored to say the least, because he has nothing to go on. And as he explains to us in his um, monologue, like Deaton is gone. Kira is gone. He, he hasn't been able to talk to his friends. Um, and yet he's there talking to Theo. He feels this weight and this pressure because everybody else in the school and also all of Beacon Hills, I guess is implied is really feeling this like weighing on them. And 
for some fucking reason, Theo is the one that he chooses to tell yeah. all of that. Well, I do think he does see a rift with him in Styles, and he's it's sort of like any port in a storm. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Theo has always been like sort of shown up with answers. And I think that's why like manipulative people can be so comforting is because they hear, they tell you what you want to hear. And Theo does that. And when Scott is sitting here being like, none of us are going to survive. Theo's like, they might. And he's like, Oh, that's what I needed to hear. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Scott, Scott is at the point where he just kind of doesn't see anything working out, which is the first time we've really ever experienced that. And I think that that is really interesting. I really think a study into Scott being at sort of the end of his hope would be a totally amazing episode three episodes ago in a different season. Yeah. It feels too late. Yep. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like there are interesting questions being asked. Like... That one, it's so, oh, okay. So if we remember from like, you know, the previous season, the Calaveras are like, we're going to kill you mm-hmm. if you bite an innocent person, um, which he's already done because he bites Liam. But, uh, you know, like if we had that threat hanging over our heads or something, like to me, it seems that Scott feels that he has always survived based on his instincts and his morals of like not killing people. And now his instincts are whack and his morals are also whack. And fewer and fewer people are surviving. Yeah. Um, which must be like incredibly infuriating. And there is a moment in the argument that he has with styles where he's like, um, you know, we don't do this. We don't kill people. Like he keeps reiterating that. And it's a really interesting thing to kind of ask, does Scott police his friends so harshly because he has to do that to himself and keeping them in check keeps him in check. But I feel like that we're bringing more to that than the writing is giving us. Yeah. Like we can sit here and extrapolate all day long, but like, it's not actually, it is such a fun mental exercise in, in all seasons, but this. Yeah. Yeah. We're just not giving it enough. Um, again, we're stretched too thin. I think this podcast is getting a little stretched thin. Why don't we move it into questions and observations? Do you have any questions? Um, just a quick, quick question. What do you think it is about the Dread Doctors that like makes the unsupernatural people of Beacon Hills so bogged down well i think if they had flat out been like oh yeah messing with people's like internal electric rhythms fucks with your head which we know because people have been using electro shock for because that's decades yeah yeah um but no yeah it just sort of feels like well it feels like sort of like a nukate part one Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily think the nukate thing is actually played out all that interestingly either but like we don't actually get the demonstration so again if i'm bringing more to the text than it's giving me electromagnets <laughs> I, I guess I don't know yeah. uh, like the telluric currents blah 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 who do I just feel but like but if disrupting the telluric currents makes people go cuckoo banana bread then what the hell was happening in season three yeah plus all of the human sacrifices yeah oh god anyway I have a question yeah shocking uh you know when malia tries to leave biology to go see beth the chimera uh and natalie's like you can't do this i'm worried about your grades and malia's like you know this is bigger than my grades right and flashes her eyes and natalie's like nah what happened in the last whatever to make her the worst oh i don't know i mean uh this again is where i like would want to bring a comparison to Buffy because um, people on Buffy, like normal people really love to pretend um, that there's nothing fucking wrong in Sunnydale. And it's used to an advantage in this episode where um, like there are these horrible children that uh, convince people that they're being killed by witches. And like, there's this witch hunt Mm -hmm. in Sunnydale, but it's so singular because it's like supernatural. And I think generally people's response to seeing things they can't explain is to be like, that's not real. I don't acknowledge it. Um, but Natalie like flips that and is like, it's acknowledge it. And I hate it. I, I think it you're all fucking yeah. evil. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason. It's just weird. It just feels like it comes out of nowhere. And then obviously she puts Lydia and I can house and we're all like, um, didn't your like mother-in-law die in the anyway? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other questions? Not really. No. Do you have any observations? I have a few. Um, one, Scott does not use his claws when he is fighting. And I noticed this with the Dread Doctors in particular. Where is Isaac? Where is Isaac? Because that baby loves to use his claws. He do. 
Um, but I just find it interesting, especially because Scott's like, we don't kill people. But I think we can safely say that the Dread Doctors are not people. Yeah. Like, they are uh, cyborg. I don't know what they are, but they're not people. Um, but Scott, like, doesn't use his claws, which I feel like, you know, if you're ripping people's um, skin open, that's a little um, more effective than, like, punching them in their metal face. Anyway. Any homes. He does yeah. not use it. Um, I really... Um, I like the design of the club we've talked about that before but when all of the um movies come on and there's nobody in there mm-hmm. and they do the fight scene i really liked that i also love the concept of the nematon as being um impossible to find yeah like it's 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 a physical place in the forest it's like the sorcerer's stone yeah yeah how about you observations okay um I miss, I said this before, I missed thesis episodes. We haven't had an episode that's just been a character thesis in forever. I want one. We were listing all of the best character thesis episodes while we were sitting there. And I just, I want a study on somebody so badly. So we don't have to do this. Yeah, true. Um, I miss Derek. I I really miss Derek. I was sitting there being like, well, again, because I don't really feel anything for anybody who's not Styles, Lydia, Scott, kind of Malia. Kind of Liam. Kind of Liam. Kira's gone. Where's Derek? I could use him. I could use Peter. I could use Peter. I could use Deaton. I was also really missing Allison in this episode because I was like, they didn't give Malia anything to do and Hayden is boring. Yeah. All Malia, all Malia gets to do is like watch that girl die and then make a comment about Scott being able to watch people die, which is super interesting. And then they're like moving on. Yeah. That brings me to my next observation and last observation. Um, uh, when when Malia says, I'm not like Scott, I can't see another body, that reflects so poorly on Scott, on not on her, in such an interesting way. Yeah. Um, Scott, I think, is, like, willing to sacrifice um, in order to keep his own moral soul and integrity intact. Well, it actually strikes, like, strikes me as, like, his altruism is actually just, like, very functional compartmentalization. Yeah. Like... <laughs> He's able to be like, well, I'm fighting the good fight, so I don't have to think about the bodies. And Malia is a wild animal. <laughs> also, just like has been working on empathy and compassion this whole time and is now really experiencing it, where Scott is sort of like, I'm working for a greater good. And now Malia is starting to actualize these dead teenagers as people and individuals, where it seems like Scott doesn't do that anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, I also think that the, the concept of the greater good is something that people, characters, but also people hide behind. All the time. Yeah. Hashtag true alpha. Ugh. I know. Do you have uh, pack stats? Pack stats. Yeah. Min- minimal. Fine. Really um, minimal. Yeah. It did not feel very, very teen wolfy until they were yelling at each other in the rain. That felt yeah. very teen wolfy. Um, we had five eyes. I loved the Malia eye moment. And I also love Parrish's eyes. I like seeing them. I like them too. Um, no claws, no shirts. Cool. That girl rips her nail off, but I did not count it. Um, that no, was good. No ads that I saw. No sirens, except that weird little motorcycle-y moment we had at the beginning that I don't know if you noticed, but I did. I didn't notice it, but I don't know if it's going to show up on the mics. Who knows? City well, living. Just imagine it, Wolfpack. Yeah. yeah. Just imagine a very large <laughs> motorcycle, no muffler, driving right by. Just some dude. Just some just some guy, you know. <laughs> uh, do you have an alpha of the week? I really want to say no. I kind of want to say m- Parish? Parish? Maybe Malia. I, I like Lydia. Um I, Okay, testament to season five. Every episode we're like, yeah, I don't have an alpha of the week. I I really don't. So. Um, I mean, Liam is really trying to yeah, save to save Hayden, regardless of whether or not we understand why. Uh I guess. I'm giving it to Derek. <laughs> Derek I don't know where he is, but we it, miss yeah. you. He's not dead, dead, but we miss yeah, him. We miss you. Um yeah, I'll give it to uh Parish Lydia a little bit and Malia. For just being the most normal about like caring about people in the episode. Um, I think that about wraps it up, yeah? I think so. Well, sorry for a more, um, shall we say, hateful episode <laughs> of the Teen Wolf Rewolf, but that's season five, baby. If you enjoyed this episode, which crazy if you did, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf. You can also uh, follow our Instagram with the same handle. We're on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. Our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Share the memes, introduce yourself, hang out. Uh, if you really like this episode, you can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. We're not asking. It's just to cover the po- the podcast production costs. Um, thank you to anybody who's donated. It's seriously so generous. Also, we have merch now. You guys can buy stickers. 
of all the dumb stuff I've ever said on this podcast, <laughs> uh, that uh, those links are in all of our social bios. And you guys can leave us a review on iTunes. That would be super helpful. Helps us find new listeners. And we appreciate you. We love you. And other than that, we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo! woo.